The following program contains mature subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. The latest trends and hottest topics, love and sex, handled honestly and with passion. Here's Dr. Lori, CJAD 800. Tonight on the program, it is our therapist panel coming up after 10.15. How much anxiety is normal? How much is too much and requires treatment? We'll answer uh, those questions and see what we can do to help you out, and any other mental health issues that you have. Our therapists are in, so we've, uh, we're two psychologists and one psychotherapist uh, here to help you all. But first... Time to check out our inbox. Your calls and texts are always welcome. Connect with Passion now at 514-790-0800 or 514-800. So let me answer a couple of general sex questions, and then we uh, can get into uh, other mental health issues as well tonight. Uh, you can email me anytime, by the way, laurie at drlaurie.com to have your questions answered. Hello, I'm scared to death because my boyfriend and I were talking about having sex. Neither of us have ever done it. I'm just really scared. Uh, we've been planning on doing it for a while now. And I'm, and I'm also scared because of the whole popping the cherry type of thing. And I was wondering if I can get any tips to not be so scared and tips on what to do when I do bleed from down there. So it sounds to me like you're asking me what happens when you lose your virginity. Everyone's experience is different. You may experience uh, maybe a certain level of discomfort or pain or not. Uh, this usually really depends on uh, how much tissue your hymen is made up of. So a hymen is what is, quote, broken when you lose your virginity. But the word broken or popped is not exactly accurate because the hymen is basically uh, stretched rather than broken, which can cause some bleeding. But again, not everybody bleeds. Not everybody feels pain. If you do continue to experience pain after several times, you should check with your doctor who will actually take a look and see if your hymen has been stretched enough. If not, there's a tiny procedure that can be done uh, to, uh, to help you with that. So you would have to have that checked. You should also make sure that you use plenty of lubrication your first time. Uh, you may not be naturally lubricated enough because if you're nervous, scared, etc., that may uh, prevent... Um, the, the, the response to arousal. So making sure you are uh, well aroused, of course, will also help. So lots of foreplay is really important. If you do bleed a little, there's nothing to worry about. You may want to protect your, uh, your sheets with a towel, maybe wear a panty liner afterwards to protect your underwear because there may be little sp uh, spotting of blood uh, after it, which is also perfectly normal. Um, but the one thing you have to remember is it should not continue to be painful over time. If you're experiencing pain uh, during intercourse over time, this is when you should talk to uh, a doctor, talk to a professional about it. 
So that's really important rather than think that it's normal to, to suffer. Sex should not be uh, painful. Also, I didn't mention, and you didn't talk about this, but please make sure you protect yourself from pregnancy and sexually transmitted infections. So before you decide to have sex, think about what method of birth control you want to use and use condoms to protect yourself from STIs or condoms may be also be the method of birth control that you decide uh, to use. Please remember the pull-out method is not a good, uh, reliable method of birth control, especially when you're young and you have much less control over uh, your ejaculation. It is not a good idea. I have known many a case, unfortunately, of uh, teenage pregnancy. Some have uh, gone through with the pregnancy and the the boy becoming a father at a very young age as well and having no real say in the matter. So there's all kinds of issues like on both sides. All right. Uh, this is a penis question. Uh, in childhood, I used pain balm on my penis. The balm was not for soft skin, eyes, etc. So my penis got burns and lost skin. Uh, an internal loss must have happened. So now my penis is tiny, but it becomes normal when erect. But it stays erect for only a little bit of time, and that too when I'm alone masturbating. I've never been with girls, but I'm not sure if I will do good or not. I like getting questions from uh, younger people. At least they're, they're thinking about these things and asking the right questions, right? But it also goes to show you how little information there really is, uh, is out there. So it sounds to me like you may have used some sort of cream that was certainly not intended for lubrication uh, purposes, something that stung and burned. Uh, however, I highly doubt that this has caused any internal damage. I also don't believe there's anything wrong with your penis size because you say it's normal with an erection. An erection is called the great equalizer because a small flaccid penis next to another flaccid penis that may be larger with an erection may get to the exact same point. So don't judge your penis in its, uh, in its flaccid state. Okay. The other thing is too, I would, I still would recommend that you see a doctor to make sure that you don't have any scar tissue from, uh, from the burns that may be affecting your erections, possibly that's something. So scar tissue can, can have an impact. Um, when you do start having sex, maintaining an erection, maybe you may find it a little bit difficult because at the beginning when, um, when you're anxious, especially if it's a new relationship and you're anxious, it's, it's normal to lose your uh, erection due to anxiety or, or just sheer nerves those first uh, few times. So hopefully you'll be with an understanding partner who's going to be patient with you. And once you get comfortable with your partner, maintaining your erection really should not be a problem. If you notice that it's a problem over time, then that's when you should seek some uh, professional help. It's usually... At that age, something in your head, in your big head. Uh, 
um, and usually related to performance anxiety, worry about uh, what your partner is thinking and, and worried about how well you're doing and, and all of that stuff. So that's the most common problem in younger men and possibly premature ejaculation, which of course is something else that when you first start to be sexual and you, you're experiencing all these new sensations, it, it, you will likely ejaculate quickly. So don't worry about that, but don't, you know, keep practicing and get to know your body and get to know that, um, that point of no return, etc. Uh, just out of curiosity, is there a way to increase uh, semen volume? As far as I know, uh, no. There's no real way to increase semen volume. As you get older, your volume is less, and uh, it also has less propulsion. Like, it uh, it doesn't shoot out as, as far. Um off the top of my head, I do not know anything that increases semen uh, volume. I'm not sure if there's any vitamins or anything like that that a person can take, but as far as I know, no. But I will look into that, I promise, and and find that for you. Uh, Dr. Lori, I have blackheads constantly on my vagina, and I have to squeeze them. Is this normal? I'm 60 years old. Well, that I don't know. Uh, but asking your gynecologist about this, are they blackheads? Are they ingrown hairs? Uh, maybe that's what it is. So you may want to uh, you may want to check with your gynecologist, who may send you to a skin specialist, actually, uh, to check out what's going on and what you can do about it. Coming up in the program, our therapist panel, Anna Maria Tosco and Rebecca Putterman, join us uh, joins me in studio as we discuss anxiety, what's normal, what's not, and what can we do about it. Your relationships on the line. Connect with Dr. Lori now. 514-790-0800. Passion. News Talk Radio. CJAD 800. Anxiety. Everyone experiences anxiety at one time or another. We just hear that word everywhere. Anxiety, anxiety, anxiety. Everybody thinks they have an anxiety disorder. But there's a difference between feeling a bit of anxiety, which is perfectly normal. It's uh, Anxiety is, a, is something that is built into our system that protects us and actually can help us cope uh, with a worrying or a, a, a perhaps a dangerous situation. Uh, it's felt as a fear. Uh, and it's like real anxiety is a fear that you don't connect to anything necessarily. Okay. That you can't even uh, pinpoint. So when you have a anxiety disorder or something that needs treatment, it really is when you have symptoms, uh, whether it's physical symptoms or psychological symptoms that, um, that are affecting your everyday life. But please remember that we all experience anxiety for whatever it is. You have a new project. Uh, you have to speak in front of a group. You've got to do something new. Yeah, you're, you have to experience change. You move to a new city. These are all things that create normal levels of, uh, of anxiety, especially in life-changing events and, and things like that. So th- that is very, very 
normal when it is related or linked to specific things and events. But anxiety becomes a problem um, when it's not just about a situation. It's about all kinds of things, and sometimes you don't even know why it's there, and that it causes an, uh, like a real important level of uh, distress. It can happen for no reason at all. Talk to people of panic attacks. They just out of the no- out of nowhere. This is what makes it so scary because the panic can happen anywhere. So here to tell us more about the about anxiety disorders and how to treat them are two people who do treat anxiety disorders on a very regular basis. Rebecca Putterman, uh, she is my office mate and my <laughs> partner in crime. Uh, she's a psychotherapist uh, in Montreal. Anna Maria Tosco is a psychologist, and both of you also work uh, very much in in uh, in anxiety. So. Where do we even begin? Because there are different types. Maybe we can even talk about the different types mm-hmm. of uh, of anxiety that there are. Who wants to take on uh, phobias? Okay. <laughs> Go ahead. That. Okay. Um, so phobias, I mean, you know, sometimes we all also have fears. We are scared of specific things. And as you had mentioned, Laurie, uh, when we talk about an anxiety disorder, it's the level of distress one gets. So when we talk about phobias, we can, you know, I've worked with people who have extreme phobia of driving right. or extreme phobias of, you know, we can say spiders, but it's mm. not as common. Uh, you know, it is People real. will just use the word phobia. Exactly. Like I'll say like, oh, I have a phobia of spiders, but I'm not going to run away if there's a spider exactly. in the room. Exactly. Right. It's the distress of it. So people have, you know, often I've seen people have a huge phobia of throwing up, of vomiting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's become a very new uh, phobia okay. that I, I keep hearing. I wonder why hearing. it's new. Well, it's, it's I'm not quite sure, but it's... You're seeing I mean, it more I'm often. I'm seeing it more often where people are petrified to throw up themselves. And they can't be around people who throw up, actually. Right. Um, so I've seen different uh, experiences. And I think it becomes important that we recognize there are definitely ways uh, to treat it. And how we, you know, anxiety and avoidance are best friends. Mm-hmm. When it's a disorder, again, like you were saying, Anything that is real in terms of distressful uh, presentation in school, yeah, I get nervous when I have to present something, well, even mm-hmm. though I do it every all single, all the right. time. Coming here tonight, I had a little bit of stress because <laughs> when you said, who no, wants you to talk didn't. about phobias? <laughs> ah, I'm scared. <laughs> so, um, but it's, it's how it's affecting your life and your level of avoidance. So if someone who I know used to really enjoy going to yoga at a specific yoga place in Laval, but suddenly had phobia and couldn't drive there anymore. So it really began to affect their life. And that's when you seek out treatment, when there's something you used to do or something you used to uh, enjoy. And Mm -hmm. then suddenly there's a fear that comes in that creates, like that's the phobia that you see. Becomes so isolating, right? And then uh, maybe, uh, Anna Maria, you can talk about... um, like agoraphobia, like people who just become so phobic about everything or they just can't even leave their homes. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, one of the things that I see more in common, actually a lot these days is generalized anxiety. Mm-hmm. And I love talking about it because it's such a misnomer. Yeah. And I say, oh, it's anxiety in general. It's not. It's quite specific, generalized anxiety disorder. And it's really about this excessive worry about a lot of things. Okay. And oftentimes it's 
um, the cognitive distortion of uh, catastrophizing. Mm-hmm. That's one of the telltale symptoms. Yeah. You're catastrophizing. So essentially, you are overestimating the likelihood that something bad is going to happen. And you're doing this not just like difference between this and specific phobia essentially is that when you have generalized anxiety disorder, you're worrying about, about everything. A lot of things. Yes. Right. That's just and huge. your whole mind, your mind keeps going and going and going. And I always, when <laughs> I always say, if you're constantly telling yourself and using these words, what if <laughs> you've got to know you've, that's a, 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 for me, a really good sign yep. that there's an anxiety disorder. Yep. If everything is, well, what if this and what if that and what if that? And and somebody can do this all day long. All day. Mm-hmm. It's so common. And you know the thing too, you know, uh, dipping into treatment a little bit, when people have what ifs, you play the what if game. Oh, yeah? What if? Well, what if that happened? That's right. Yeah, I love you know, and, that game. and you go to the end because then at the end you get this beautiful, true fear. What if? And the end it ends up being something like, I fear dying. I fear illness. Yeah. Yeah. I feel these really profound things. And you have to work through that because I was just telling Rebecca that, when you get a what if scenario, you go to the end of the line and then what if, what if death happens? Mm-hmm. What if you get ill? Because in the end, it has to be okay. As strange and counterintuitive as that sounds, yeah. but that's part of the treatment. Yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah, I always tell uh, my clients, well, what if we replace the what if with so what if? So what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So yeah. what if? Let's, yeah. let's yeah. I also that. say yeah. what so if right? not? What if not, right. Yeah. Or, or yeah. What if I get... What if I fail? Well, what if you don't fail? Mm-hmm. Like, why don't we, like, what, how can you predict that? And they can't predict it. Yeah. And right. that's part of the worry log that you do with them. Because if you say, like, on a level of one to a hundred, can you predict that you're going to get sick? Well, of course they can't. Because we can't predict anything after. It's going to happen tomorrow. Tomorrow. <laughs> right. <laughs> tonight. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, I hope I get home tonight. Yep. But what if I don't? What I'll figure don't. that out if I right. don't get home. I like know? this so what if because it gets them thinking, okay, so, okay, so this happens. So what? Yeah, and then okay, so what? And then you just keep going yeah. with the so what, and yep. then they realize, oh, I guess I could handle it. Yeah, <laughs> yes. that happens. But inevitably, that, that happens. happens all the time. Yeah, it just uh, people often talk about not being able to slow the brain down. That yeah. they just, I know people who wake up with anxiety. Mm-hmm. They they wake up and they're feeling this way, and they don't. It's like getting on a fast train. The mm-hmm. minute you get up, and just not not being able to get off that train Mm -hmm. can i you know what with regard to that i hate saying this because when i was a student i tell all my clients this when i was a student or earlier in my career and training i used to say i'm not going to talk to my clients about breathing what does that do that's so superficial that's so i gotta tell you though like that's the way out there are these these regimented uh, paced breathing exercises i roll if you want to i don't care Mm -hmm. because it works yeah absolutely you know i actually now uh, i'm I use apps. I I love the use of apps that help people focus because before it was like, okay, I got to hear Dr. Lori's voice in my head. No, don't hear my voice. Just go get an app. (laughs) There's some great, there's some, no thanks. There's some great (laughs) mindfulness apps out there that are two minute breathing exercises that you can do multiple times a day that won't take long, that won't bother anybody, but will center you so that you empty that brain of yours that just fills up and fills up and fills up and then just feels like it's unmanageable. Can I pitch something on on the coattails of that? The reason why too is because you're training your nervous system. This is where, like, I'm trying to convince my clients, you have more power than you think. You have to do breathing often in the day, maybe like this, Mm -hmm. use an app, two minutes, because you're training your nervous system to get out of the fight or flight. Yeah. 
So, I, I mean, just to, again, to piggyback on all of this, I think what's important, and you had mentioned in the introduction, when we talk about a panic attack, and yes, it comes out of nowhere, however, it's been an accumulation of stress and anxiety moments that you sort of like put out the fire, put out the fire, put mm-hmm. out the fire. So then when you're walking and suddenly a panic attack hits you, you haven't really paid attention to your breathing. You haven't really paid attention to what the ruminations have been about. And that's when I often say, so people say, oh, I, I can't breathe when I'm having a panic attack. It's true. So for one, no one's ever died of a panic attack. That's right. Yes. Let's make that clear. No one has yeah. ever died. died of a panic attack. Exactly. It might ever. feel like it. Exactly. But you're right. not. It feels like a sweat. It feels like a heartbeat. It feels like you can't uh, be in control. But I often say, you know, who's walking who? But if you're breathing, and I often train people, I do train people all the time with, do breathing exercises four times a day, yes. five times, so that when you feel the panic attack coming, you'll be able to use it as a you tool. You remember how to breathe. Exactly. Right. Versus don't, right. it's not going to work yeah. suddenly if you're having the panic right. attack. You and don't, don't worry. You know how to breathe. You exactly. haven't forgotten right. how. Right. Exactly. It is absolutely doable. This is our therapist panel tonight, Anna Maria Tosco and Rebecca Putterman. We're talking about anxiety and any other mental health issues you want to discuss with us. So feel free to text in at 514-800 or call in at 514-790-0800 if you have any uh, questions or issues that you want uh, the the three uh, the three therapists in this in the room here to help you out, we are more than happy to do that. The following program contains mature subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. It's sex out loud, and you're welcome to listen in. Passion on CJAD 800. Tonight on the program, it's our therapist panel. We have Anna Maria Tosco and Rebecca Putterman. Anna Maria is a psychologist. Rebecca Putterman is a psychotherapist. I am a psychologist. Uh, I specialize in uh, sex therapy as well. All three of us deal with a lot of anxiety. I think it's probably the most common thing that we uh, that we see. And uh, sometimes people need... Like anxiety can be on a spectrum too of severity, yes, I think, right? Definitely. So uh, sometimes in the most uh, severe cases can be quite debilitating. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are a lot of physical symptoms like uh, extreme fatigue, sleep disorders, headaches, dizziness, yeah. nausea, diarrhea, uh, heart palpitations, feeling like a, 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 a choking, like what's that? like something stuck in your windpipe, for Mm -hmm. example, Uh, excessive sweating. Um, People have chills or hot flashes, high blood pressure, trembling, uh, chest pains, uh, often sweaty. But because of the sweaty and the chest pains, Mm -hmm. often people end up going to the hospital thinking they have are having a heart attack, yeah. mm-hmm. especially with panic attacks, you know, uh, numbing, uh, like some numbness or tingling ses- sensation. So those are the physical manifestations of anxiety, which of course can be 
extremely distressing. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and if I can normalize them, though, the really interesting thing, too, and and when you treat anxiety, part of it is you have to give them like a psychoeducation, as we used to call it. Mm -hmm. All of these symptoms that you just listed have an evolutionary, like adaptive benefit. What I mean by that, Mm -hmm. blah, blah, psychologist jargon. Mm -hmm. What I mean by that is the sweating, for example, from an evolutionary perspective, is because the predators couldn't get at us. Right. And so all of these symptoms of anxiety essentially are symptoms of you being in fight or flight. And so in that sense, anxiety, you know, is used to serve a purpose. Yes. It serves a purpose when you don't have an anxiety disorder. You know, you're in fight or flight because you have to be. But in order to not be alarmed and to be able to rationalize or work through those symptoms is to know this is my fight or flight. This is me entering the fight or flight system. And this is what happens. You know, when well, you it's a response to fear. Exactly. So anxiety equals fear. Yeah. It's just that you're fearing fear itself. Like the, the, and, you don't even know what you're fearing. In the case no, of panic, yeah. There's nobody chasing you. So yes, yeah. there's no tiger. Right. Yeah. There's, there's yeah. no saber tooth tiger. Exactly. It's, it's literally your own mind yeah. creating this monster yep. that is chasing you when there is nobody there. There's no tiger. Yeah. yeah, that's the important thing. You're creating it. Yeah. And a lot of the things, the events that you're anxious about, can actually be exciting. But what we do is interpret it as something that's stressful because we, like I often say to clients, you and I can both be looking at a roller coaster. One of us, we're looking at the exact same thing. One of us is looking at it saying, oh my gosh, I'm going to die. I'm not going on that roller coaster. And my heart is palpitating, like the palpitations are just as much. I'm I'm stressed about it, but I can't wait. This is so exciting. Mm -hmm. So it's really the interpretation we make of what we see in front of us. That's a really, really good point, Mm -hmm. how we interpret the stuff. That's right. This texter says, um, most people add caffeine to their day, and I'm one of them. Most of my anxiety was caffeine-related as it made it worse and made me feel like I I was thrown into the deep end of a pool. My day is a lot better and calmer when I eat a meal and avoid coffee. Can you comment on on stimulants and anxiety? Yeah. Go ahead. Seriously. <laughs> yeah. So no, definitely when we're talking about a stimulant, you know, definitely, you know, the opposite of, of, uh, of when a depressant, when your neural activity gets depressed in this case with a stimulant, you're getting into a brainwave state that's conducive to anxiety. So I want to say, yes, definitely avoid the caffeine. Uh, really important to do that. Um, the other comment though was caffeine. And what else did she say? There was something else. Um, when they eat a meal, like yes. just asking, saying to avoid the coffee, but, yeah. but any, any stimulants. Yeah. So, you know, part of the important, one of the important things we do at the beginning, you know, when they come in for an evaluation, yes, assess caffeine intake, assess how they're eating. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm so happy that you commented on that because you have to be eating well, you have to be sleeping well, and you have to be moving your body in That's some right. capacity. So, yep. Avoid caffeine, move your body, eat, sleep. Super important in our, in our and evaluation. physical activity, yeah. which is a great stress release. Right. Rather that ra- you have to fight the isolation, yeah. right? Because oftentimes it's the the fatigue that's brought on the mental fatigue that creates the physical fatigue, and because yes. of that mental fatigue, it's like uh, I'm too tired to go out and, and go to the gym, or I'm too tired to go to a class, or I'm too, you know what I mean? And you Absolutely. really have to push past that. 
Yeah. You know, I often see a lot of adolescents like who've become young adults in CJP and university who used to play soccer or ringet or hockey three times a week. And that's what they did on a regular basis. And then they gave that up to start CJP or university. And suddenly they start getting anxious. Mm, and I'm like, I wonder why. I yeah. wonder why. Because <laughs> it's that physical activity that used to be a great release of stress for them. And suddenly they don't have that anymore. And by the way, usually CJP is when, pe- when kids start drinking coffee. Just saying. Yep. That's right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? To stay up so, late, do course, their papers. Right. They're missing a meal. I, I know someone who just stopped eating all day at CJEP. He used to eat lunch every single day in high no, school. No, no. And then suddenly he stopped no. eating at CJEP because he gets anxious and doesn't want to throw up maybe. and Right. And that's the feeling when you have that thing in your throat, that, mm-hmm. that, that feeling of, of like something stuck there. The last thing you want to do is eat. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Uh, yeah, that's why you have to calm down those symptoms first. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, also knowing, uh, you know, I'm thinking of a, of somebody I know whose anxiety was caused by just a bad living situation, mm-hmm. like a, a, a really a bad relationship. So when she would be away from home, she'd have no symptoms. Mm-hmm. Like she would, let's say, go off somewhere for a, a couple of days with friends, no symptoms. The minute she'd walk into her home, she couldn't eat. Mm-hmm. She'd have this this thing Not. feel like a, a stuck in her in her esophagus, where she felt she she just couldn't swallow. Yeah. She went kept going to the doctor. What's wrong with me? I can't swallow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, my stomach hurts. Uh, blah mm-hmm. blah blah. And then when she finally left her marriage, every symptom went away. Like yes. every single symptom yes. completely went away. So sometimes. That anxiety is related to a very specific yeah. uh, condition yeah, in your life, right? Your environment all around. Yeah. So I, I tell my clients, I'm like, if you're in a war zone and there are grenades being thrown at you, I can't help you feel better. You know, you right. have to get out of the space. Yeah. Right. Sometimes. And, and, that, and sometimes a bad relationship feels like a war zone. Absolutely. Yeah. Exactly. Absolutely. So Absolutely. it's, it's like, how do, you, how do you, you can't re... You can't help somebody with that anxiety unless they get out of that that yeah. situation. So I, I think, as we're both saying, what becomes important again is knowing what triggers you, being very, very mindful of what makes you anxious, having your thoughts, journaling your thoughts, writing them down, understanding what is it? Is it the morning I had a man? All we talked, he didn't realize what was making him, I mean, it was, it was quite funny. I asked him to record his day to day. He's like, I'm just anxious all day. And he came back the following week. He was an engineer. He came back the following week with graphs of when he was anxious. <laughs> right, love it. But what was interesting is that he noticed he was actually only really anxious yeah. on his way to work and coming home from work. And what it was, was he was walking on a very, very busy street all the noise around him, people disrespecting space, people on their phones and not paying attention at cross mm-hmm. at the light, people throwing cigarettes on the floor. He yeah. would just get really anxious watching how people behaved. All I did was reroute him on a quiet street on the way to work. Anxiety was gone. Wow. wow. Mm-hmm. You know, and it was just so interesting because he thought he was just anxious all day, but he right. wasn't. He was right. only really anxious on his way to work and on his way home. So the very important took. then to identify, to pay attention, to it's identify your environment, yeah. identify what's going on. What are the potential stressors in your That's life right. that are accumulative? That's right. So they accumulate, which then throws you into this That's feeling right. of generalized 
anxiety. Mm-hmm. More with uh, our uh, therapist panel, Anna Maria Tosco and Rebecca Putterman here as we continue to answer your text messages and talk about uh, anxiety. Straight talk that's all-inclusive. Passion with Dr. Lori. News Talk Radio. CJAD 800. Our therapist panel tonight in studio, the last Monday of every month, uh, we've got therapists that join me and we talk generally about mental health issues rather than simply about sexuality and relationship stuff. Uh, Anna Maria Tosco, who is a psychologist, is here. Uh, She works out of the Montreal Center for Anxiety and Depression. We have Rebecca Putterman, who is a psychotherapist in private practice and also uh, works uh, out. Of, are you allowed to say where you work? <laughs> out of the Herzl Clinic uh, in uh, in Cote d'Ange. All right, here's a text message, and maybe you can you could respond to this. A pedophile tried to abduct me when I was 12 in his car. I don't know how I got away. Fast forward to adulthood. I was assaulted and sexually harassed at work, and it all came back and threw me into panic disorder for years. Right. Sounds like a, a post-traumatic stress disorder. How often are the two linked, the uh, post-trauma, post-traumatic and anxiety? Mm-hmm. Always. Okay. I kind of want to say always. Yeah. I don't know about you, Rebecca, but yeah. very, uh, very often. So this is more, rather than a panic disorder, this is more of a, 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 a post-traumatic, PTSD, yeah. Yeah, post-traumatic stress. You know, again, in the name of, of normalizing this, I want to say this person went through a lot. Yes. And and so the thing is, yes, if, if you are more cautious, if you are more anxious, yes, I, I want to validate, you know, all mm-hmm. of that stuff, of course. I have to process not only the anxiety side of it, but the emotional side of it as well, which would be really important. Yeah. And the hypervigilance that comes with it. So when you've experienced a trauma of, and especially like this kind of trauma of of an abduction, or you're probably constantly looking over your shoulder and you hear a car door or you like you're hypervigilant, which is one of the uh, symptoms or consequences of, uh, of of having experienced any kind of trauma, which of course is an, is an anxious state. Yeah. That of hypervigilance. And it's really important. I mean, you know, whether you go for help for it, there's a lot to read online about helping yourself with PTSD or panic disorder. Okay. But what becomes really important is knowing you're safe now and that that those events definitely are part of your narrative. It's part of your story, but making it clear that you're safe today and that, yes, you do have to be careful because sometimes when this happens, you know, we never... We don't know what's what's happening. We can't say that it'll happen again. I can't tell you it won't ever happen again. Right, right. And, There's and no guarantee. The There's which no is guarantee fear. in life, exactly. Right. Because if it happened once, well, you know, someone asks me, "Can you assure me for sure?" I can't. Right. Because I can't assure anybody of anything, and I think it just—it's really important that you get proper help to deal with both the assault and the possible abduction. Which so what so would you fortunate. do? First thing you would do with someone like this, what would you do? Uh, well, work through the events that happened when she was both 12 and when she was an adult and assaulted. Might be a he. It Jerry a could he. be a he, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he or she, yes, and doesn't was, matter who. Mm-hmm. Was he sexually assaulted? Or? Oh, well, sexually harassed at work. Yeah, sexually harassed. Assaulted and sexually harassed. Yeah. So it's understanding what had happened. For me, it would be understanding what had happened, 
um, that he was not responsible for the events that occurred. I don't know how he's feeling specifically mm-hmm. about right. it. And then making sure that he works through that. It's not happening anymore, but as you replay, as an event happens, that you're triggered by it. Mm-hmm. You're triggered by a smell or you're triggered by the assault mm-hmm. or a car pulling up in front of you and someone getting out of it, but you're automatically in a panic place. It's understanding that, you know, it was a random event that happened. Both of them are random events that for the most part, I think we do live in a safe society, but him needing to work through. Right. Don't watch the news then. Yeah. <laughs> the more no, you I watch do. the news, the more, the, the, the more anxious we become of the kind of world. I mean, yes, there are less exactly. abductions of course. and there are less assaults and there right. are less. Well, it's like fear. It's like the fear of flying. How many, sure, uh, planes do crash, yeah. but how many flights go out mm-hmm. and how many crashes occur and yeah. how many people mm-hmm. die compared yeah. to all the people exactly. that are out there? Far more people die going into a car That's right. than yeah. those are the risks. I had right? a friend who was who was flying, and he he you know he had a fear of flying, and then he he said he he went into the airport and just saw the lineup of all the planes on the tarmac and said, yeah, there's like eight, there's like eighteen in a row, and it kind of made him feel better to know, hey, I mean these people do it every day. There's mm-hmm. planes out there. Yeah. Yeah, how That's many right. flights go out yeah. every yeah. hour, every That's minute, right. all around the world? Yeah. So, but part of that is is also you talked about psychoeducation, but educating oneself, looking at the true evidence. So when someone has a a fear of something, you have to be able to counter that fear with evidence. It's like, prove to me that this is dangerous. Tell me why this is dangerous. Like, where's the evidence in your life that, that this is actually going to hurt you. Yeah. And there isn't. It's possibility versus probability. Anything's right. possible. Yeah. But the probability is lower on almost everything we can create. Yeah. And I mean, in a lot of these, you know, these treatments, these charts, it's evidence for and evidence against. Mm-hmm. And then essentially you read the two and come up with a more balanced alternative thought, a safer thought, you know, evidence for, evidence against. And then you come up with a more alternative, uh, more realistic way mm-hmm. of looking at life, you know? Yeah, uh, I was just, as we had said before, when we were outside, you know, when you wake up, you start thinking. Right. And if you think about the day, you have thousands of thoughts all day long from, oh, I'm feeling great today. Oh, I'm not feeling so good today. Oh, I'm, I don't like my hair today. Oh, I love my hair today. And it can go back and forth all day long <laughs> with this is good. No, this is bad. This is good. This is bad. <laughs> But I think what becomes... Turn it off! <laughs> no, but like it doesn't the radio. stop. Turn it off! But the intention is, and specifically if you're isolated, you're going to believe everything you think. Yes. And it's, Don't believe everything you think. It's just a thought because really your thoughts can be as opposing of each other throughout the day. <laughs> thinking you're good. No, I'm bad. No, I'm happy. No, I'm sad. So it's really important. The thought is just a thought, not mm-hmm. a truth. You don't have to believe every single mm-hmm. thing you think. So if anybody takes away anything, a thought is not a truth. It's Let's just remember thought. that. It's just a thought. And there's thousands all day. Yeah. yeah. This texter writes, I've had a seizure and I hurt myself pretty bad. And I'm paranoid ever since that I'm going to have another one. Right. So here we go with possib- possibility versus probability. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you're here to tell us about it. Right. I'm sorry that happened. And again, I don't think anyone here can say you won't have another seizure. And unless they know how it started and maybe you're an anti-seizure medication. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. 
and you hope that people around you will know and you wear a bracelet to say possible seizures so that people might know what to do. Mm -hmm. But you have to live with the notion that we have no control over some things. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, there's the the idea of we, you know, we can't reassure you, although the probability is low. But where I go with my clients oftentimes is... And what if it does happen again? Mm-hmm. And it's so, it's, some people say it's so counterintuitive. Why are we talking about that, Anna Maria? And essentially it's, well, what if it happens again? We have to go through the motions because it can likely be okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You, know, and, uh, you know, and there's so many different, there's a plethora of possibilities if you had a seizure again. It doesn't have to be catastrophic necessarily. So in session, I go there. Yeah, right. and 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 so, you, you know, go to the worst case yeah, scenario. You right. have to, because yeah. right, because friends and family go. It's not going to happen again. Don't worry, you're fine. And that's not enough. Yeah, we have to go to the Absolutely. worst case because it might be yeah. right. And and again, it's possibility over probability. Absolutely, that's it. We're done. Too much and, fun. Yeah, Anna Maria Tosco. Where can people find you? At the Montreal Center for Anxiety and Depression. www.helpforanxietydepression.com. Five one four seven 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 forty five thirty. And at the sassypsychologist.com. That's right, sassypsychologist.com. Sorry, I forgot to mention that. Oh yeah, I'll I keep it. forgetting you're the sassy psychologist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't sassy, my face you up are. Much. Uh, Rebecca Putterman. Five one four four zero two five five two six. Wonderful. And I can be reached at 514-984-5910 or Lori at drlori.com. If you'd like to send me an email with any questions that you have or you want me to give you these guys' numbers again and keep get you connected, I can help you do that. Thank you so much for spending this time with us. Thank you for your text. Thanks to Brian Calisar, our technical producer tonight. Uh, social media at Dr. Lori Betito, B-E-T-I-T-O. Coming up next on CJD, the CTV National News. Have a great rest of the evening, and remember to live your life with passion. Mission.